0: What's up podcast listeners? Yep, you guessed it. Another awesome, fantastic, just amazing episode of the Matt Baxter show. And uh, yeah, I'm your host Matt Baxter. I'm hanging out with Dan Mangina. Dan Mangina is just a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating human being. Uh, You can find him at dreamwithdan.com, where he speaks, he coaches, he comes alongside entrepreneurs, people seeking the next stage of life. And we dive into some pretty, pretty heavy topics on this episode. We talk about suicide. We talk about hitting rock bottom in life. We talk about uh, some really, really, really tough Uh, but much-needed conversations, uh, and I just respect Dan so much about his vulnerability that he shares in this podcast. But also we talk about like more uplifting things and positive things and uh, taking the leap of faith and not being afraid to sort of shape uh, the outcome of your life. And that's something that we certainly shared uh, and talked about quite a bit on this episode of the podcast. So Dan, thank you for the man that you are. I'm so very excited for the stage at life that you're in and the impact that you're having on people as well. So I hope everybody enjoys this podcast just as much as I did. Dan, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Max. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Daniel Dan Donut what is it <laughs> oh, oh I see what you did there I
1: see what we're going with this.
0: I love it I love it well I'm fired up for this podcast we're gonna we're gonna dive into uh I think a couple fun different directions but just give me your story give me the background you know what's led you up to today I would love to would love to hear it
1: so I was picking purple flowers by the lakes of Wakanda and uh no I'm joking
0: um done and that's the story Wrap up the <laughs> that's, it, that's it we're done that's it yeah, so uh,
1: I live in Cabo, Mexico. I've got a 20-month-year-old son called Ethan. He's 20 months at the point of recording this. Uh, my I born and raised in East London in the UK. Mum and dad moved there from Zimbabwe in the late 70s as education migrants, would you believe it? Um, my mum's got five kids. I'm the middle kid of those. And uh, yeah, what gets me up in the morning is the opportunity to remind people that abundance is natural. It's our normal way of being. And if we just... Uh, fell into a little bit more flow we can enjoy that as a
0: regular way of living our lives done and round yeah. two podcast already done wrapped up <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it so uh how old were you when your parents moved to you say
1: i was born oh, and raised in Islander. so my so i was born in 83 my parents moved i think 77 or 78 to the uk
0: how'd they find how'd they pick uk of all places from uh education or a uh, focus. I, I, do you know,
1: I don't know the ins and outs of it. As far as I know, my dad had done his um, his masters and he wanted to come and do an, another masters or come and do his PhD. One of the two.
0: Um, already way smarter than I can interpret, but okay. Keep going. My, I don't know. My
1: dad, put this way. When my dad was, how old was he? When my dad was forty-five, fifty, 50? He got bored and went and did a law degree. Yeah, as one does. Yeah, he just got bored and went and did another law degree. When he already had two masters and a PhD in economics. So uh, to give you the context of the
0: household I grew up in. Yeah. Very, very normal, boring conversations. I'm yeah, sure. Normal, boring <laughs> conversations.
1: But yeah, education was really, really big in my family. And even when, so I didn't finish my bachelor's degree much to the disdain of my parents.
0: I was going to ask, how'd that go over Thanksgiving dinner? Uh,
1: not very well at all, but my, my <laughs> well, with my dad, not very well at all. My mum's convinced herself that I'm still going to go back and finish my degree. It's like, mum. I'm literally a multimillionaire that lives in paradise. I'm not gonna go back to university. Like I'm 38 years old. I'm not doing it. And she, she's still she's still holding on to the fact that I'm gonna go back and finish my degree. But I love you, Mum, but no.
0: Uh, if it makes you feel any better, I think I'm like the first Baxter ma- uh the first male Baxter on my dad's side that is not a doctor. Even the pastor has his uh PhD, so he's a doctor. <laughs> And then there's me, and I'm like, "Yep, yeah, nope, never will, never will, not gonna be me." <laughs> and the funny
1: thing is, is that um, the funny thing is, is that um, like, uh, you know, there's discussions about me getting an honorary doctorate from University of the States for some of the yep. work I've done. It's like, so I get to trump what Mum had thought I was going to get without even needing to do
0: all the rigmarole. So we'll see, we'll see how we go. So, multi-millionaire living in paradise. How do we get there?
1: Uh, I came to Mexico for three days and didn't leave. Uh, now I live in Cabo,
0: um,
1: coming from England where it rains every other day to a country where a part of the country, you know, where it rains about a dozen days a year is absolutely glorious. Um, uh, I love life now without rain and snow. I've avoided cold weather, Mm -hmm. biting cold weather since I thought it was November twenty. 18, but it's actually January, 2019. I remembered I went to New York, but since January, 2019, I have not had to wear a cold coat. And I love that.
0: <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely yeah. done. I yeah. love it. So, um, all right, you've got, we've got the travel down. We've got the amazing, uh, sunshine as a focus and avoiding cold weather at a focus. So, mm-hmm. uh, what, what, what sort of, as, uh, you said you're 38. So as a 20 year old, What occupied Mm -hmm. your mind as a 25 year old? What occupied your mind? And as a 30 year old, what occupied your mind? Ooh.
1: So as a 20 year old, I just made my first million. Um, and then was just about to lose it all. Um, how'd you do that? Well, first of all, how'd you make
0: it? And then how'd you lose it or almost lose it?
1: Okay. No, I did lose it. It was, it was good. I actually made and lost everything twice by the age of 23. Um, Well, get it out of the way early. (laughs) Get it out of the way early. No, but so I had a a, a, basically like a little mini conglomerate. We did training. We did real estate. Um, I was exporting goods from different parts of the world using letters of credit, which is a really cool way to leverage. Um, Yeah, and the government took everything because I didn't have the right licenses for my business. So that all went very quickly. I was a millionaire for about seven and a half months, eight months. Um, Dusted my shoulders off mr b and uh I was like oh, i'm just gonna go and do it again and it took me about a year and a half to be a millionaire again i tried to be smart and put everything in other people's names and they stole everything um so that's how i lost everything the second time so by the time i'm 25 i'm actually neck deep in a very strange sounding mission and as i explained what my mission was you know some people aren't gonna get it but i'm gonna say it anyway so after i lost everything the second time i hit rock bottom like when i say rock bottom Matt, i mean i literally hit rock, rock bottom. And the only reason why I didn't actually make the suicide attempt that I was planning was because I looked at myself and thought myself to be such a loser that I thought I would fail. And I couldn't take the idea of being such a loser that I couldn't even take my own life on top of everything else. And so what I went off to do was to de-loser myself so I could pull off a successful suicide. So by the time you catch me at 25, I'm actually in the throes of de myself in pursuit of that outcome.
0: Um, keep going on this. Tell me more. So what
1: I did was as I spun around and I said, well, I've had some success and that success I've had got me somewhere, but it didn't last. So is working and something's not working. So I went back. So to, to give the audience some context, I was reading books like think and grow rich and psycho cybernetics as a 16, 17 year old. I was a bit of a precocious teenager. I was now you know, smoking weed, drinking alcohol, and having sex with girls. No, I was reading books and planning how I was going to be a millionaire uh, before I turned 20. And so I had a lot of information, but the danger with having all that information and no wisdom to go with it is that it can all end up being a bit messed up in your head. And so there were missing links that now looking back as an older person, I can see, oh, hang on a minute. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand that. But most importantly, as a a young man with the arrogance of youth who hadn't been tested by life, I didn't know what I don't know and the importance of you know, what I don't know, the importance of that which I didn't know that, that it was gonna have on my success. And so even little things like understanding, well, the basic structures of running a, a business of different types that you need to have proper legal counsel to make sure that your paperwork's up to scratch and you've got the right licensing for business. Understanding that if you are going to put businesses in somebody's name, that you need to make sure that you've got the right contracts and agreements and get that crap notarized. I didn't understand those things as a young man. But at the time, at this point of darkness, all I understood was that I'm a loser because I was just in such a crap place. But I ended up for about two and a half years completely, and when I say completely, I mean completely immersing myself in books, in tapes, in videos and conversations, all about success. I'm talking about, I, I learned to transliterate Arabic and learned to transliterate Hebrew so that I can go back into ancient script, ancient texts and understand what they had to say about, you know, the mythology and the, the esoterics behind manifestation and, and reality creation. And I woke up and it was many years later that I woke up and realized this. It was actually 2015 is the time that I realized, hang on a minute, I haven't been thinking about suicide. I've not been thinking about taking my own life. My life was good. I was in great shape. I had really great relationships in my family with my friends, a business that the business that I built up from that time was doing really, really well. And I was just in a really, really good place. And it was at that point that I started looking at the frameworks that had kind of accidentally come together to bring that into my life. And also the path that I'd gone on because when I say I was committed to my outcome, that I was really committed to my outcome. I wasn't like, I'm going to be positive so that I can save myself. It's like, no, I'm really, really serious about this goal that I have for myself. But it doesn't matter how serious a goal is. Your inputs are going to change what's going on in your mind and generate different outputs. And that's exactly what happened to me.
0: First off, um, obviously anytime you're talking about something like suicide and rock bottom like that, um, I just, I mean, first off, thank you for even feeling comfortable to share that and, you know, diving into that. Obviously that's a remarkably challenging, uh, subject and an even tougher part of your life too. So thank you.
1: No, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's, it's all, it's, it's, it's brought great gifts for me and, and now for the people that I get to serve and get to support with the work that I do.
0: So the progress of, uh, getting from rock bottom to sort of the clearly mental state that you found yourself in 2015 and and judging by this already brief conversation, I'm I'm betting you're in a really good spot today as well. But what was the day-to-day mentality uh, increase? I mean, it wasn't like you woke up one day and you're like, oh, well, everything's better. Like it was a process. It was progress. Like, you know, when you're trying to lose weight, you step on a scale and you realize, oh, I've lost a few pounds. There's metrics for that. But with something like depression, something like you know, kind of the deep state of just wanting to give up, like it's a little less metric-driven, right? And there's a little less number to focus on. So, walk me through sort of what that process of improvement was like, but more importantly, like where was your head at as you started to improve? So this is the thing,
1: Matt, that I, I sometimes struggle with, and and the TED talk that I did on this actually they refused to publish because of my title. Um, but the TED talk I did on this also touches on this too because I didn't have a progressive experience that I was consciously aware of I was able to go backwards and look retrospectively now after the fact but during it because I wasn't trying to improve for improvement's sake I wasn't actually tracking anything at, at all it was just that part of me There were improvements in my life that were happening. So, for example, sitting and having real conversations with family members, um, sitting and, you know, curating the friendships I had and just being mindful of the friendships I was stepping into. During this period as well, at the age of 27, I was diagnosed with Asperger's, which also helped me to understand the approach I'd even taken to this entire thing anyway. And even the way that my mind had worked in terms of dancing with all of these different challenges. But I I, I literally did just wake up. And so I got back from a holiday. Um, So 2014, I went on my first grown-up holiday with my cousin. We went to Miami for his birthday. And um, we stopped off in New York. which was my first time to America. And then after that, I was like, hey, whenever you're traveling, let me know. And we ended up going to Thailand. We did two weeks in Thailand. And um, during that two weeks, I had to take one phone call with my business. The rest of it was running like clockwork. And I got back, realized I had this amazing time. I've met amazing people, great experience. And I was really happy. I, like, I felt happiness. And it was in that moment, there was like this flashpoint point of, 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 of recognition that, oh my God, I'm actually happy. And it was in that moment, I realized that the darkness had faded without me even realizing it faded because I was so busy. Have you ever read The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer? Nope, but I'll add it to the list. Yeah, add it to the list. It's an amazing book where he talks about his his story, and it's really really powerful. But there's a there's a line in the book where he says something along the lines of, "He was so busy doing the work that the universe was giving him to do that he wasn't really cognizant of what else was going on. His hands were busy doing the work that he'd been given. And when I reflect on you know that that part of his story, and look at mine. It was I was so busy, caught up in this mission that I now see was there was something pr- provident. Uh, in the mission that I went on, that I wasn't really tracking what was going on in the background. I was just busy getting on with it, and it was afterwards that I realised, oh God, goodness, this is what's actually happened. And since then, been sort of reverse engineering, pulling out certain parts of it, uh, testing certain parts of it, and, and having the opportunity to have these conversations to share those parts of it, so that the journey as a whole can be supportive to people who maybe aren't going through exactly the same thing, but are certainly going through something that they don't really feel that is is that hopeful a situation.
0: Do you think most people are like uh, cognizantly aware that they're on a decline before they hit rock bottom? I think I've heard enough rock bottom stories, and quite frankly, I've been through uh, one myself where it's like you kind of realize that you arrived, and you're like, "All right, yep, I'm I'm at the I'm at the low right now." Mm-hmm. But do you think a lot of people are maybe self-aware is the wrong term, but like? observant of the fact that, oh, I'm on a decline, or oh, I I see this trending down, or oh, uh, this is just, do you get what I'm saying?
1: Mm -hmm. So my thing is this, I think it's available. It's available to you, but not everybody steps into that availability. And this is one of the myths, when you start talking about manifestation and all that kind of sexy stuff, oh, infinite possibility, but infinite possibility doesn't equate probability. I think we really need to look at the delineation between these two concepts. Possibility means it's out there. Probability is the degree to which it's out there and available to me as an individual. And I think that when we start talking about people's awareness of where they're at in relationship to to rock bottom, someone who has sufficient self-awareness may be able to do that. But far too many people, I think, are walking around completely asleep, um, running on unconscious programs, uh, running on what other people have said that they have to do and what's possible for them. So they don't have that level of awareness. But when you are aware, then part, part of the gifts that are available in that awareness is knowing where am I in relationship to my bottoms and my tops.
0: So I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of verbally ask this question as I'm thinking it through. So I have a little bit, probably uh, 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 biased, sort of anecdotal case study around this. So I want to give that caveat. But mm-hmm. I've had we're close to 250. Uh, guests on my podcast, a lot of amazing entrepreneurs, inspirational folks like yourself uh, who have, there's a lot of like rock bottom stories. And so mm-hmm. there have, it feels like there's some correlation between rock bottom emerges to success or uh, maybe successful people sort of have to lose one time before they can become, maybe multiple times before. Do you notice any trend or similarity between that of like successful people and going through that. Whereas a lot of the people are sort of zombies walking around and maybe they don't ever hit a true rock bottom because they don't really want more from life. I don't know. It seems like there's a consistency of a lot of successful people to go through like a really awful stage in life.
1: Well, I think that there's, there's a, there's a, an additional data point that maybe is being missed here. The ones that you're talking to, there are a lot of people who hit rock bottom and don't come up. Right. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who find success without But the cross section, the people who have the energy that calls you for to share them with others, the people that have a story and a message to share and gift to others are the ones that you're meeting on your show. And so I think it's yes. And there are some I mean, the statistics, the data on this in general is that the average millionaire has been bankrupt twice. (laughs) That's real data in the US, the average millionaire in the US has been bankrupt twice. Average multimillionaire, should I say. And so if you've only had one big L, on your journey to success, you're halfway there to the average multimillionaire. All right, So that's a data point.
0: <laughs> you right? got them out of the way early. Like I said, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. But, but, but not everybody that hits rock bottom comes up. I yeah. nearly didn't. I, for, it, dude, it was a complete freaking accident that I'm here today. Had I been in the U S where I could have had access to a gun, I probably wouldn't be here. Because when I looked at um, cutting my wrists, I didn't fancy trying that and getting it wrong and then having cut marks forever to remind me what the loser I am. I didn't want to hang myself because I didn't want to inconvenience someone in having to cut me down and have them go through that. I didn't want to try tablets because if I tried tablets, someone might find me and pump my stomach. And I've been there when someone tried to do it that way. We were all standing around the hospital bed and feeling sorry for them. And I didn't want to be that guy. I just wanted a clear way to get this done. And I didn't have that. Some people have had that and they're not here anymore, right? Some people maybe have died metaphorically and just kind of fallen away. Um, But the fact is, is that if you do hit rock bottom and you are blessed enough to, to have the perspective for that to become just a step in the journey, hand clap for you. Not everybody does have it, but I think it's a testament to you and the energy field that you're carrying, that people that have made it back and moved forward are cool to share their stories on this podcast with you. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's powerful stuff. Um. So, tell me more about the work that you're doing now.
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, a, a part of the journey that I've been on has been bringing people to a place of understanding that a lot of the things that we strive for don't have to be strived for because they're actually available now. All right, and one of them is this concept that. There's this lack illusion that there's not enough. Um, when you look at a lot of the way, the way that a lot of people do business, I need to take every client. I need to kill the competition. I can't pay my employees properly. I need to be shoddy in what my delivery is. I need to churn and burn. And these are all concepts that come from a very, very illusionary place of lack. When you look at nature, which is what I invite people to do all the time, nature is nothing but abundant. The only time that abundance fails to show up in nature is when humans get involved. And even then, nature will always strive immediately to move into an abundant state of equilibrium. It's the natural order of things. And so calling people to that natural order of abundance is what I love to do. I use money as the, the tool to communicate the lessons and strategies to do that, not because it's the most important thing, but because it's measurable. There are metrics. If I say to you, hey, bro, I'm going to take you through a process for you to make six figures in your business this, this month or for you to make a million dollars over the next couple of years or to take your business from seven to eight figures, I get there or I don't. You can judge whether I'm full of it by whether you apply what I say and whether it works or not. If we're going to talk about, I'm going to help you find purpose and I'm going to help you connect with your happiness. We can't really measure that. I can make you do a little test where you say where you are on the scale of one to 10, but that's not as definitive as the metrics of real things on the table. And the cool thing is, is that I don't believe that God created a different, a different playbook for manifesting different things. It's all the same playbook, but because of the emotional charge that we have around some things, we look at that playbook from a different lens and see it differently. So once we have understood how to create our life consciously and deliberately, Using money as a measuring stick, we can take those tools, take those strategies, take that capacity and apply it to any area of our life, our purpose, our relationships, our health, our vitality, the works.
0: So um, have you found that like the people who are willing to show up and, you know, uh, learn from you are already kind of one already one step ahead? And what I mean by that is like you stop and think about somebody who reaches out to you and says, "I I need help. That person is already really far ahead for w- being willing to say, I need help or I want to go to the next level or there's something I'm missing here. Help me understand that. Is that, have you found that to be true?
1: Uh, first and foremost, I, I will not work with someone that isn't there. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I understand why. <laughs> and I give money back to people that show up like they're not there. Yep. Right, and and even nowadays, for example, my team do a lot of the coaching, uh, like the one-on-one coaching and stuff. I tend to do a bit more of the one-to-many stuff. But you know, I mean, it's it's not cheap to work with me one-on-one. People can come and do a VIP day or whatever with me, or sometimes people fly into Carbon. We spend the weekend working on it. But you know, I've refunded people at my cost sometimes. Like, you're not ready. You're not here to do this thing. And and so, I'm 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 not a softy. I'm a little bit tough right and so sometimes people, appropriately you know, direct i think is I'm probably app- a good way to say direct. <laughs> i, I, I broke I bro- I bro- no bs right and so not everybody's going to be able to, to to sit in the container that i do actually create which is a crucible there's fire here but if you are ready to sit in it there's something on the other side but i honor that not everybody is ready to sit in it i've had work that i've been called to do that i've not been ready to do yet right mm. and i get that and there's no there's no shade at not being ready to do that it's just you know for me being an in integrity to only take money from people that are ready to do that
0: yeah so what would be somebody who somebody who walks walks in the door and says you know i'm ready and you look at them and you say you're ready what where are you beginning with and obviously whatever you feel comfortable sharing but like what who is somebody who's ready to come work with you
1: someone that knows in the very least what the what they're running away from if not what they're running towards like we hmm. have to have something to work with so, for example, we've we've just started doing something called success camps, which we we trialed in Florence, Italy, a couple of weeks ago. We're doing one in Dubai in December, uh, November, and then I think we're gonna do I think we're gonna do Carbo in, in February. Where we, people come, we spend a week, we mastermind, we network. I coach, I take them through my money DNA. We do money blocks, but you can't even register for that unless you have a specific goal that you're going to be working on, or at least a pain point that you're running away from. For me, there has to at least be that because otherwise, the time is going to be spent, sort of at least getting that baseline put clarity. We can work on, but trying to work out exactly, like at least the base. I, I, I don't really enjoy that process. um Yeah, I don't run my own business, so I can do stuff that I don't enjoy. Go, I only do the stuff that I enjoy, and so I, I look for someone to at least know. Hey, even if I want more money, right? Even if you don't know what the number is, even if it's like. I, I want less time away from my kids or I, I want to feel more fulfilled in what I'm doing. Something that we can build on and, and the discovery process that we'll always go through before we step into deeper work would include playing with that.
0: Hmm. Have you found with success, successful people or um, people you've worked with, there's a common theme of more people are running away from something than running towards something or vice versa. Is there a commonality between those two?
1: I mean, 7 point whatever billion people in the world, I can't speak for all of them, but I can say in sure. my experience, I think there's an 80% negative bias. I think that's the way yeah. it works, psychologists have done. So 80% of people are probably running away from something. Yeah. If we look at that from a, from a, rough, a rough thing, right? Um, some people would be running towards something if they understood the difference between running away and running towards. Uh, but if we look at the numbers on negative bias on a global basis, they're probably more running away.
0: Hmm. kind of makes sense um what are you running towards me I'm running towards
1: being a full-time philanthropist that's exactly what my whole game plan is
0: what's uh one or two or uh focus from a philanthropic standpoint is it to empower others is it a certain cause is it a specific mission what would be sort of the focus of that
1: so my thing is i i i don't so i, I i'm a an abundantly minded capitalist right i believe in the pursuit of profit i believe in creation of value i do but i also believe that value and and profit serve a purpose and it's just a medium of exchange of values between us as strands of consciousness if, if you will and i believe that the approach that i have to philanthropy which is phila- entrepreneurial philanthropy which is providing the space for people to create their own value rather than sort of spoon feeding them value has a, a role to play in changing the way that the game of philanthropy is done globally. Um, on my journey, I've met other people that think about things the same way. But I don't just believe in teaching a man to fish. I believe in teaching a man the concept of fish, um, how supply and ch- how supply chains work, how to build communities and how they can empower others to also fish uh, so that they can actually build independently. Because I think a lot of ph- philanthropy really is just another system of control. It's a way of p- keeping people down versus empowering them. And I want to change the narrative on that. It's something I
0: feel really deeply called to do. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's amazing. Um, what's uh, What would you say, so obviously within the context of that, if uh, you know tomorrow uh, at, at your funeral, which we hope, of course, does not happen, but people were to say, like, Dan <laughs> impacted me in a blank way, right? Yeah. And you got to choose what that blank statement was. What would you want that to be?
1: He got me to see that I had all possibilities available within me and that I could do it.
0: Hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Um so dan for I mean my favorite question on the in the face of the planet you've kind of covered different segments of it but my favorite question in the world is uh what gets you, what gets you out of bed in the morning. So yeah. obviously there's a driving force to impact lives much mm-hmm. deeper than obviously providing business opportunities for people but what what what's the point of all this?
1: I mean I think this is a game, right? And, and and having such a close relationship to my own mortality uh, and then kind of juxtaposing that with deeper stuff I've done around just the, the nature of reality and, and, and how it kind of works at both an esoteric and philosophical and also, at least on the quantum side, a scientific perspective It's that it's very easy to look at this whole thing and get caught up in it being more real than it is. Instead of just enjoying it as like a game that we can we can have fun with. And so what I do every day is ask myself, what do I desire to do and experience today? I challenge even, you know, I've, I've shared with you about my mission. I'm open every day to that changing. Every day. I'm not tied to it. So if I wake up tomorrow and I don't want to do that anymore, I'm not going to do it. And so I'm passionate about creating a life for myself that gives me the space to do what I choose to do because I want to do it and to do so on a consistent basis there are things that become a part of that. I love my son, right, for example, and I I love that I get to play with him and and, and be an inspiration for him and and to play the game of seeing what kind of human he's going to grow to be against the backdrop of the example that, you know, we as a family set for him. And then I get to play with the people that I get to engage with every day and having conversations like this. But ultimately, one of my core, my core, core, core values is freedom is having the freedom every day to wake up and choose what do I desire to do today, which may change tomorrow and having the freedom to make that choice.
0: I can resonate so much with the freedom. I mean, yeah, I entrepreneur, this is business number two. We're scaling yeah. up. Yes. It's amazing to build a, a great business and there's nothing better, but more importantly than that, it's like truly the opportunity of freedom and aspiring to nonstop have freedom in everything I do not to, you know, sip my ties and not, not work, but more the freedom to wake up and and have the choice to work on what you want to work on or whatever mm-hmm. it may be there. There's something special about that chase.
1: And also to make your work not work. So I mean, you know, I'm very grateful. You know, the, the, of my entrepreneurial exploits, it's, it's really only the personal development business that takes up my hands-on time. Everything else is pretty much managed. Maybe I need to do a meeting here and there or take a flight here and there. But from a day-to-day perspective, Dreaming Dan is is the one that takes up any time. And I'm I'm very blessed that you know I work three days a week: Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Um, and I only do the things in that business that I want to do. If there's something that has to be done, I either find a way for the business to operate without it or someone that I can partner with, collaborate with, hire or bring in to take care of that. So my work doesn't feel like work. I don't feel like I've got a job. And anytime it starts to feel like a job, I don't do it. We had a lot of success with summits, for example, over 2022. People have really loved our summits and you know we've, we've provided a lot of value and, and I've had the chance to, to connect and meet some amazing people. But I had a call with my team, two days ago and it's like there's a lot of work involved and everybody's not happy with the amount of work so we're not going to do it anymore and this is something that brings revenue it brings email addresses you know it's it's a productive thing but maintaining the space of it not being a job not just for me but for the people on my team too very very important i want everybody to enjoy what they're doing
0: yeah i love that um dan for people that want to follow along with what you're doing uh see some of the content that you're kicking out, learn from you. What's the best way for them to either to follow along, get in touch, uh, learn more about you?
1: Always dreamwithdan.com. It's a central hub. Uh, I write for Entrepreneur Magazine. I've got two podcasts. uh, We blog. um, uh, I'm on social. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. But the links to all of that, including a free resource page, it's all on dreamwithdan.com. Easy to remember and easy to navigate.
0: I love it. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being a guest in this podcast. Is there anything else you want to leave with the audience?
1: I just, yeah, just remind them that, you know, this is a game. Whether you look at it from a philosophical perspective, uh, a scientific perspective, or even look at it from an esoteric perspective, there's an ephemeral nature to this thing that we call life, but we get so caught up trying to make it work a certain way or to get it quote unquote right, that we lose the presence to enjoy the ride. And I just want to encourage everyone to just enjoy the ride.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. Seriously. Thank thank you you so much for being a guest. No, I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me and uh, any of my listeners that are tuning in, make sure you check out some of Matt's other episodes. He's a cool cat and I'm sure there's going to be much more yummy conversation for you to dial in on.
0: (laughs) I love it. Thank you.